everybody, and welcome back to the Illuminati Podcast, episode 153. As always, 43, 143, 573, 173, 673, 673, 673, 673, 673, Alex and Jesse. Under you, man. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely Cher, by the way, but I don't know why I chose post Sunny Cher. Not sure why my, I felt that need to do that, but in this tableau, am I even alive? Yeah, this is this is when you guys were still had a show together. So why I'm my- the like young, the young, the young Sunny. <laughs> yeah. I realize yeah. my share is more meatloaf, but whatever. It's all <laughs> R.I.P. to a great one. It's like Luciano Pavarotti is what it is. Andrea Bocelli. <laughs> Do you believe? Yeah. Jesse, yeah. you're the Andrea Bocelli of LA. Somebody out there, some Italian person out there is laughing their ass off to that one. Did you watch a lot of Sonny and Cher growing up? No, I'm not Who that. Who the hell I'm, are you talking to? None of us were not in the 70s like, and 60s. Here's, no, here's but it was on you. Nick at night. All here's what I'm you. I listened to Sonny and Cher the whole time I was growing up, but I the TV specials not the the show like the actual tv show yeah yeah the show where they sing at the I end know, of each other and I, then know, like here's smooch. what it is i think i actually am going to say yes but it was not a show that i was locked into because i yeah. know that it was on too i know you're you're right that it was on tv land i remember it tv no, land no, yeah, no. yeah the yeah, only yeah. show that matters is if i could turn back down that's here <laughs> my twitter yeah. uh, <laughs> Check out her Twitter. Hell yes. <laughs> her Twitter is uh, great. Yeah. I know that I did watch a hell of a lot of Sonny and Cher now that you mentioned it. That's fucking weird. That's like, a, that should be a Chilumanati episode right there. Right? Why? How why did, did that we watch so much Sonny and Cher yeah. growing and, up in the 90s? And eventually it will be because we're going to run out of topics as long as you keep us weekly by heading to patreon.com slash pod where you not only get to listen to our delicious episodes without a single ad except for this this one which is it an ad or is it just exactly what you came here for i don't know i don't know what's wrong with you (laughs) what Uh, (laughs) but come on down and not only do you get this you also get episodes early you get art you get pre-sale merch you get all kinds of cool shit and now also movies which is a new thing that we're doing where we we riff tracks we we rip off the show riff tracks and mystery science <laughs> theater go. 3000 and even and even super beard brothers sh- another show which i'm on which also offers this benefit on patreon uh, <laughs> <I did not laughs> if you if you come if you come down here to patreon.com the finest website We'll set you up with all that and more. And all you got to do in return is support us financially so that we can keep the show rolling. Back to you, Mathis, for something a lot less light than what I was just talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's finally time, boys, to end the trilogy that is the John Wayne Gacy trilogy. If I have to listen to this man's voice any longer, I'm going to put myself in a crawl space and never never come out. Can we actually really quickly... uh, shout out uh and i'm unless you're already gonna do it that they found the uh the book we got the book the book we've got yes yeah 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 i was i wasn't gonna get to that for sure but uh yeah well right now yeah i got a few copies sent off my way um the john wayne gacy written in his own words basically it's called a question of doubt um imagine explaining that to somebody who doesn't know you 
Oh, these two copies of this book written by John Wayne Gacy. I just have those. That's for my job. Yeah, I would love a physical copy, but physical copies go for like over three thousand dollars. It's insane. Yeah. Um. But but what I've read of the book, I've read like the first like 20 pages. It's awful. It's written and I I tweeted about it and I'm going to say the same thing here. It's written like a high school student trying to meet the 2000 word limit for their essay. It's filled with like filler language and flowery nonsense. And like uh, just like, for instance, though, he goes, this book was written with the intent to show that there is always more than one side to a story, whether that story is detailed over a backyard fence by a neighbor in the form that is referred to as gossip. What like, you could you, if only what? that the term yeah, fake yeah, news had already you. existed, he would have said it. He would have. Oh, without a doubt. A hundred percent. Um, yeah, that was just like it's like you could have just said gossip, man. Like you didn't have to explain we what, know gossip what the fuck is. gossip is, bro. But he's too is his ego is insane anyway. And we're going to get to that for sure uh, in this episode. Um, and a shout out to to uh, I ended up watching the past couple of days, the Peacock documentary on John Wayne Gacy as well. It's called John Wayne Gacy Devil in Disguise. Peacock? It's a, oh, yeah, like, it's the NBC streaming oh, okay. service. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. All right. yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> I'm with you now. It's, yeah, no it's, worries. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like a six episode thing. It's really, really great. They do a phenomenal job at really kind of putting a focus on the victims and their families and how that all affected them. Um, it was a really good watch. So if you're interested in like learning more because I can't cover everything, it's another, it's another great source for you to go watch. That being said, let's do this. Last episode, gentlemen, we ex- we examined the kind of person that John G- Wayne Gacy actually was after his initial arrest for the crime of sodomy and a sentence of 10 years, which Gacy only ended up serving less than two years of thanks to his manipulative behavior and dare I say lackluster justice system slash chicken buckets slash yeah slash uh kfc herbs and spices the I, colonel became the barn boss i cannot believe this all started with a man who bought the government with chicken again yes. colonel became the barn boss became the biatch i can't yeah, figure out why he didn't immediately go like if i knew the chicken method worked i would always return to it always right <laughs> he didn't go back to it after he decided to be construction guy instead KFC would have been so much more useful. He would have gotten away with it forever. What a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and after being set free, it would be less than two years before he would commit his first murder, leading to the eventual deaths of three young innocent boys and men within a short time of one another. His wife, Carol, would openly complain of the sickly smell of death always lingering within their house, having open arguments with Gacy, telling him he needed to hire someone to go under the house and take care of whatever died down there. Gacy would in turn insist nothing died, that it was probably just a sewer problem. And as their relationship slowly deteriorated over those few years together, which if you want the details of that relationship, go listen to last episode, Carol eventually divorced Gacy and then moved out with her to her and his children. Uh, he has two daughters um, that are by him out there. By with him? His, yeah, yeah, it's like blood related. Like daughters still, by Casey. <laughs> daughters <laughs> by Casey. Uh, and with his wife and kids gone and the home to himself, it's as though he threw off whatever imaginary shackles he still had on and went from murdering three boys over three years to murdering 30 more over four years. God fucking damn it, dude. He basically went into what's like a berserker mode. His body count was allowed to get so high due to a number of circumstances. 
partly because of his outgoing and social personality, involving himself in politics and charities and a hobby as Pogo the Clown for children's parties, but in large part because of the repeated failure of the Chicago police to investigate numerous reports of sexual abuse, assault, and kidnapping simply because the victims always ended up as homosexual men. And that was not on their list of priorities. In today's episode, I'm not going to go over every single murder Gacy committed, but instead, I just want to go over two separate incidents. The first one we're going to go over is Gacy's final murder, the one that got him caught in the end. And then another, uh, another assault that happened prior, where the victim not only got away, but was able to go to the police, identify Gacy, and the cops did nothing about it. The reason I want to do this, uh, do it this way, is to showcase how utterly insane it is that Gacy got away with this for so long. Most serial killers, by the time they get caught, do so because they get sloppy, some even taunting the police directly. But that's not true of Gacy. Gacy's last murder is nearly identical to every murder prior. The only reason he got caught is because the 33rd murder just happened to fall into the right cop's hands with the right witnesses who gave enough of a shit to follow up on the family's request. The 33rd murder. 33rd. Yeah. The yeah. 33rd. -er. With in within uh, a span of four or five years. It's fucking insane. He was going like uh, he was having like mere weeks between murders and he would go out and do something called his doubles night where he would go and kill two people in one night and put them in the same grave. That's uh, fucking crazy that he was like, <laughs> it's so crazy that he was like so prolific that he had like special nights versus yeah. regular nights. And he was just never, you know, he was getting away with it every time. But then after those those this particular case fell in the cops laugh, uh, fell in their cops lap, things quickly came apart for Gacy thereafter, because prior to what the cops may have wanted you to believe during the time, Gacy was not very smart about how he handled the bodies. He was just ignored over and over again. Gacy's thankfully final victim after over 30 kills in four years was a 15 year old boy named Robert Peast. Robert, on the evening of December 11th, 1978, was finishing up his shift at Nissan, uh, Nissan Pharmacy as a stock boy. Earlier that day, John Gacy had come into the store offering the owner to fix up some of his shelves and do a little construction work for him. This had been an ongoing conversation for a couple of days prior to this between Gacy and the owner, and on this day, it seemed like Gacy got the go-ahead. He had begun measuring out shelves in the store before he got talking with Robert, who was stocking the shelves nearby while he was working. The two seemed to have a friendly enough conversation before Gacy told the kid that he was hiring freelance helpers for his construction gig and would be willing to pay him more than he made here. But the conversation never went much further before Gacy had to leave the store, content with the measurings that he'd taken. Later that night, at 8.58 p.m., Robert's mother pulled up to the store as she always did to pick up her son. At home, they had a cake ready to celebrate Robert's sister's birthday, Elizabeth. Rob came running out of the store, leaned into the car, and told him, told his mom to hold on, that a man wanted to talk to him about a contracting job that might pay him more. Just minutes before his mother pulled up, at the back of the store, Gacy had arrived in his 1979 Oldmobile Delta 88, if you want to know the kind of car he was driving. He had forgotten, quote-unquote, his book earlier on the counter and came back for it just before the store closed up. As he was walking out back to his car... He brought up the job to Robert again and said he'd love to get him in uh, and get an application for him. That's when Robert ran outside to let his mom know. When he got back, 
Gacy was a little baffled. Uh, Gacy looked a little baffled that he didn't have any applications on hand. But if Rob just came with him real quickly to his house, he could fill it out real quick and get the job started sooner rather than later. And he'd bring him back home. Rob, when Rob said he'd wanted Damn. to, but his mom was. Yeah, I know. It's it's nuts. And again, this is like the 70s thing of just like kids just going so with trusting. Strangers. Yeah. God. Yeah. Way too trusting. I'm in like the bargaining phase. Like I do. I want to like figure out a way to like not make it happen. Yeah. Like get in there and be like, Rob, please. God, don't, yeah. don't, don't. He's going to kill you. When Rob said he'd wanted to, but his mom was waiting out front. Gacy simply said, don't worry. He only lived a block up and it wouldn't take long. Robert agreed and willingly went with Gacy to his house. This might speak a little bit to Gacy's ego at this point, because he's well aware that his mom was waiting for him outside. And yet, without even thinking about it, he still decided to take this kid as his next victim, where most or all of the victims prior were people who were traveling, hitchhikers, somebody without any uh, witnesses around. After they arrived at his house and going inside, Gacy fiddled about with papers for a bit before moving the conversation over to pictures of him as a clown, as was his M.O. by this point. He would talk about how fun it was and how much he loved entertaining kids, which inevitably led him to talking about his favorite trick, the handcuff trick. Gacy would ask if he would want if he wanted to see it. And so Gacy would handcuff his own hands behind his back to show it off. After a bit of fussing around with the cuffs, the cuffs would come loose all off his hands and Gacy's hands would be free. He then asked if the boy, in this case, Robert wanted to try it, that he bet he wouldn't be able to do it, but was welcome to give it a go. That's when Gacy, after the person agreed, would hand the cuffs over to the victim and the victim would handcuff themselves behind their back. I fucking, I fucking hate that detail. I can't handle the fact that this like, Hey, come on, come on over. Uh, we got to go get the, you know, an application for you. It'll just take a minute. Come on over. Hey, you want to see my handcuff trick? I would have been like, literally, bro. I just, I'm just, let's sign this application and go. Like my mom, I got a whole <laughs> thing. Like it's crazy. Me, like, all right, show me your handcuff trick. All right, mister. Like, uh, yeah, I would be like, mm, I want to go. Like, Please no, God, I got do something not to do, put those bro. on me. <laughs> Robert would then begin to struggle, obviously to no avail, before giving up and asking how it was done. That's when Gacy would always put his hand into his pocket, slide out a key, and say, the trick is, you gotta have the key. That's when Gacy would switch to his true colors, and the torture and abuse would begin. (laughs) Yeah. Dragged to the garage, illuminated in red lights, dirty beds, chains, and more, He would be raped, beaten in and out of consciousness for hours before unveiling his final trick to Robert, the rope trick. When he was done with his victim, he would take a piece of rope, tie a knot on both ends, and slip it around the victim's neck, then taking a stick between 8 and 10 inches long, slipping it between it, between the rope and the collarbone, and then he would twist like a tourniquet, slowly over the victim's neck as they suffocated to death usually needing to twist it two to three times. After the deed was done, the body was usually moved into the crawl space within 24 hours. On this particular night, Gacy curled up with the body, he says, and slept with Robert's body through the night. God damn, dude. In the morning, uh, with usually in the morning, he would bury the body in the crawl space with a shallow grave pre-dug, covered in hundreds of pounds of lime to try and cover the odor. But with Robert... The crawl space wasn't an option, much like it wasn't with the prior three kills before him. The crawl space was now full. 
So Gacy tossed the body into the trunk of his car and drove him down to a bridge over to Plain River, where he would dispose of the body and let the river do the rest as he had three times before. It had worked all those times. Why not a fourth? But it's here I want to take a bit to talk about the crawl space. As I've talked about in other episodes, Gacy did indeed hire teenage boys to work with him for his contractor business. He would sleep with most of them and others would become victims. But there are two names that are constants who didn't become victims, well, fully, and may have been accomplices to the murders. These two men were Michael Rossi and David Cram. Both of these boys worked and lived with Gacy, though at two separate times, and both definitely did help with the digging of the graves under the crawl space. Really? Gacy- yeah. I didn't know this bit. Yeah. Gacy would tell them it was for plumbing when he was hiring them and paying them to do it. The reason he hired them is because Gacy did indeed have a bad back and had heart problems. Did it but smell also- like sh- shit? Yeah, well, we're going to we're like that's what we're going to go get to kind of here. It's, it's like what they knew and maybe what they didn't know. Um, but on top of that, the crawl space was just under three feet and Gacy was a big dude and the crawl space was too tight for him to go under comfortably and it would take to- uh, take time for him to get through it. And you can see if you just be wary if you go Googling, but you can see crawl space photos, just how small that place was when you uh, when the cops were under there. Mm. These young guys were leaner, younger, and able to get the work done, which then begs the question, if Gacy had a hard time getting into the crawl space in the first place, how the hell did he manage to move all 33 bodies down there? As one of the victim's sister puts it in the documentary, quote, if he could have done it himself, why involve anyone else at all? And it is an interesting point. Now, I have no doubt that Gacy did put some or maybe even most of the bodies into the crawl space himself. But there is an argument to be made that one or both of the boys ended up helping him uh, and they ha- or at least had some idea, if not direct involvement in the killings themselves. There's one account where, after being chloroformed in the back of Gacy's car, the victim awoke in a haze in the house of Gacy's and claims to have seen two people in a blur. And one of them had lighter brown hair and was notably thinner than Gacy before Gacy walked back over and shoved the rag back into his face only to wake again when he was being beaten and tortured. But other than a hazy memory from one source, there's also a little bit of tangential evidence as well, particularly the things the boys received as gifts from (coughs) Gacy. But one that stuck out the most was the car of one of the victims, a white Plymouth, ended up in the possession of Michael Rossi, the one that lived with him second and the one that lived with him the longest, who was currently Gacy's live-in employee which leads to a small example of the police's infuriating fumble. When the car was found and recognized by the, by the cops, they approached and questioned Gacy. He simply told them the victim by the name of John Sizik, uh, uh, I believe that's how you say it, had sold the car to him because he needed cash to leave town. He then sold the car to Rossi, which is why Michael Rossi had the car. The cops literally took Gacy at his word and told the family that his, their son had just run off that he was 19, not a kid anymore, and probably just wanted to get away. Which is nuts that that is what happened to that kid. I mean, uh, there was the cops, no like, follow up and they're just like, yeah, no, the most obvious about, suspect we're going to just move on from. Yeah, what about crazy. Like, the slips of like ownership? Like, no, oh, no. it was just God. like a uh, tall off and they left. And that happened 
many, many times. In fact, we won't get into all of them, but the minute he started murdering like his his spree of 30 kills, he would be have run in with the cops six times and get off every single time. And was he just like, yeah, no, I uh, he said he was leaving town and they were yes. like, oh, well, the last five check out. So this one must like that's crazy. Well, he would get he would get arrested, not just for like the interview for like a couple missing people. But at the same time, he would also get arrested for attempted assault and rape of people. Like people would go and report him. And then when the, he got arrested by the cops, he would tell the cops that they were uh, paid. They were prostitutes. They're lying. This, that and the other. And because they were gay men, they just would let him go every time. It's crazy, crazy. crazy. I did not know that it was that often. Yeah, he got he got running with the cops all the time. But he's also pretty buddy buddy with the cops as well. He's well known around town, involved in politics and within charities and in community stuff. And he he was very ingratiated into the city and the society. How do you um, how do yeah. you justify a car like that too anyway? Because he's not telling the guy that he gave it to that he the guy sold it to him, right? Yeah, no, no. He said he he told the cop that the kid sold it to him because the kid needed the cash to leave town. Right. Which also makes no sense because he has a car. Why wouldn't he just but drive what did he and leave tell, town? What, what did he tell to the guy he gave it to as a gift? Oh, yeah, yeah. He didn't how sell d- it to him, but he told the cops he sold it to him. Yeah, that's what I mean. Just I'm just saying, like, how do you yeah. how does that person not know about how does that oh, person yeah. not think no about question. like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where I'm saying like the tangential evidence is this kid had, he had a car and both of the boys who lived and worked with Gacy would go on when the trial started to become state witnesses against Gacy during the trial, just so you know where they kind of end up. Gacy would say of them after he was arrested about them digging the graves, quote, if they didn't know what they were doing, then they were idiots. So he implies they knew, but he never outright says it. Back to the murder of Robert Peace, though. His mother waited at the store for about 10 minutes before, tell, before asking one of the co-workers named Nicole if he was still inside talking to the contractor. She responded no. She had seen him go outside to talk to the contract worker that had visited earlier today about a job. She had assumed that he'd gone off with him for those reasons. So his mother told Nicole to have him call her at home when he got back to the store so she could come back and pick him up. And she drove home. Robert never came back. But unlike Gacy's other victims, Rob had eyewitnesses of uh, who spoke with him last. And that would be the gentle nudge the cops needed to finally get them to do their job. It wouldn't be long before they were at Gacy's door one evening looking to ask questions. While he refused to answer the front door, he did make them come around to the side door after ignoring their knocks for a while. And this is where we see the insane confidence Gacy had after getting away with everything for so long. Without missing a beat, when he opened the door for the police, he invited them in, asking what he could do for them. They confirmed that Gacy did indeed see the boy and asked him to come down to the police department to fill out a witness statement form for them. But Gacy came up with a lie about needing to prepare for a funeral for his uncle and had to call his aunt first to let her know. Eventually, the next day, Gacy would go into the station voluntarily, four hours later than he was asked to, with his boots covered in mud and his car covered in mud. (laughs) It's like they could not be more suspicious. Right? Yeah, Yeah, it's insane. Gacy would remain at the station for 10 hours, answering questions while the cops waited on a search warrant for Gacy's house. 
Eventually, the warrant would come through and Gacy was forced to hand over his keys while three police officers headed to Gacy's house with unrestricted access for the very first time. They they combed through his house room by room, not finding much out of the ordinary. But the thing that stuck out to them was a pile of porn with a copy of 21 Craziest Sex Crimes magazine mixed into the, the porn pile. The police officers noted the stink in the air, but were reassured that it was a video game. Like, what the fuck is this? I know it's so dumb. The police officers noted that there was a stink in the air, but were reassured by the kid who lived there that it was a sewage leak underneath the house. Eventually, one officer found the entry to the crawl space and shouted out to the other cops. He dropped down, flashlight in hand and looked around. Unfortunately, the corpses were not sat on top of the ground. They were all buried about a foot underneath the dirt. And the police would walk away from their first search completely empty handed. God damn it, dude. After this, Gacy would lawyer up very quickly in the station. But with the search, uh, but with the search ending empty handed, they had no choice but to let Gacy go. Perhaps now bolstered even more, having escaped the police's grasp once again, his ego and confidence soar to a new height. But the cops were not through watching Gacy while also finally digging into Gacy's past. Now, all the times he had been arrested before, none of the police decided to look up prior uh, crimes on Gacy. They didn't look up like what he if he had been arrested before or any of that stuff. They just kind of like, let just him go. Standard. Yeah. Procedure. There's so much lax police work here. It's mm-hmm. upsetting that it's truly awful and lazy. Yeah. It and, is. and I think even more than lazy, I think like the big takeaway for me just in general is the like, just how shitty it was to be gay. Yeah. Well, they just man. don't give a fuck because they're gay. There's, they there's, just literally to, don't give a fuck. It's, it's nuts when we, when we get to when the guy tried to report it and what he was told over the phone. It's 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 oh God, it's infuriating. So they finally. But now with the, an actual like hint of suspicion on Gacy, they finally decide to dive into his past and see if he has a criminal history. And of course, what did they discover? The sodomy charge, along with multiple reports of assault Wait, and kidnapping. this guy did butt sex? That is <laughs> yeah, unforgivable. Yeah. Oh, the most unforgivable crime of 1978. I can't believe this. Butt sex. Ugh, gross. Uh, and after this, after they saw all the reports of the assault, the kidnappings, the sodomy charge, they were convinced that Gacy was their guy. They just had to pin him for something. They had to find evidence. And so Gacy was put under extremely heavy surveillance for nearly every hour of every day for the following 10 or so days. Gacy was under heavy police watch with some officers barely getting eight hours between shifts to themselves. But it's here that we see why I said Gacy was at peak confidence. He was well aware he was being watched actively going outside, walking up to the police car, having conversations, friendly conversations with the cops. Conversations range from talking about their their day, his day, weather. Why are they talking about this shit? Because he's like, what? Are they, what else are they going to do? He's walking up to their car. What are they? What are they? What do you like? What do you do? Tell them to go. We're watching like, you. What are you doing here? Like, why? You know, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, no, like, but he he understood he was under suspicion for the missing boy Robert Peace, and that's why he thinks, and he's just waiting for them to not find anything and go away. He would also suggest to them good places to eat, even joking that their constant presence was hurting his business and how he wished he would just go away. 
Occasionally, though, he would lightly complain that they weren't needed and that they were just harassing him for no reason, that he was a good citizen and had done much for the town. And that complaint would grow as time went on and the surveillance didn't cease. On one occasion, he invited them, he invited them into his house and one of the officers went to use the bathroom. When he flushed, first of all, can you believe like he fucking invited the officers that were watching him into the house? Like, come on in, boys. You want to come in? The ego is crazy. It's maniacal. I just it's don't like understand what villain. these cops are thinking. Right. It's it's nuts. However, when they went inside, one of the one of the cops went to the bathroom and when he flushed, he recalls smelling a scent that could only be of something rotting, one he knew well and knew they needed another search warrant to go where the sewage leaks were and look again. Famously, he even took them out. John Wayne Gacy, toward near the end of his surveillance, took the cops who were watching him out to breakfast like he they caught I got in the cop car and he they went off to a restaurant. He suggested why the fuck would the cops be like, I would love to go to breakfast. Well, Gacy believes in this moment he's making friends with these people. He's trying to make friends, trying to work his weasel his way in so that they won't ever suspect him. And if they ever say anything, they might just let him go. Meanwhile, the cops are convinced this is their guy and they're just kind of playing along, I think, to keep him calm. They're just and try waiting to, not... to see what the fuck he's going to do, basically. Yeah, they're following him everywhere, too. Not just like out inside his home. They're following where he drives. He's being watched almost Tommy Patera style back towards Tommy Patera's like end of his killing career. Famously, like I said, he took him out to breakfast and it's here. He made a very infamous joke and quote. The joke went, quote, you know, clowns can't get uh, clowns can get away with murder. And he said that right to the police, knowing the cops know he's a clown, uh, he's Pogo the clown and uh, just like openly kind of like soft confesses right then and there. So these and, but, so these guys are like sitting here just like slapping each other's legs under the table. Like, look at this shit. He's fucking telling yeah. us. They more or less like they, they, they bring that up like it was just like they, he was taunting them in his own way. He was like the, the maniacal ego <laughs> in his own him. way of just telling them that he committed murder. Right. But. The pressure was starting to get to Gacy. He had a defense attorney at this point, and this defense attorney, this was his first private uh, defense attorney job. He was a public defender prior to this, and John Wayne Gacy ended up being his first one. And this comes from the book that he wrote, which is very, very biased on in, in like the in the in the form of like leaning toward just trying to get Gacy labeled as insane when he really wasn't. Um, but the story goes that toward the end of his surveillance, Gacy would go to the hotel where uh, his defense attorney was simply because while he was in the office with uh, with the defense attorney due to attorney client privilege, the cops couldn't follow him in there. And so he had a time in privacy while he was in there. He was visibly very drunk and supposedly just openly admitted to everything to his defense attorney, going over all of the kills, where the bodies were, and didn't know what to do. He would eventually fall asleep in the chair in a drunken stupor and would, at some point, in the middle of his sleep, stand up and stick his arms out like Frankenstein and sleepwalk around the office before sitting back down in the chair and going back to sleep, apparently. Like, yeah. no bullshit? Or like no bullshit. Like, like oh, he may have been lo- he may have been putting on an act. Right. That's uh, okay. That's what like, I mean. Yeah. Like 
The, def- the defense attorney says that he was convinced he was actually sleepwalking, but I don't necessarily believe that because I don't think you get up and Frankenstein arm out and walk around. Right. That's not how sleepwalking like, looks. That's right. how it like on TV. Maybe it was portrayed, but yeah, it, it's nuts. Now, whether or not like that story is true, that come now that comes from his defense attorney, but he, the defense attorney never went out and told the cops or any of this. He kept it to himself and he started working on ways they could maybe when the trial inevitably came working on an insane plea. We'll get to what his defense ended up being after he gets caught. Eventually, though, the pressure of being under constant watch was getting to him, whether because it was disallowing him to commit another murder, felt the pressure of being discovered, or maybe a bit of the both. The friendly conversations with the cops became more aggressive, and his driving became more erratic, actually losing the cops for hours at a time sometimes. And the police were starting to get worried. When they lost him hours at a time one time, they actually found him at the graveyard, talking to his father's gravestone for hours. They were getting concerned that Gacy was showing signs that he might attempt suicide. And while new information was coming up as they were found and interviewed living victims, people who had been abused by Gacy as they were uh, finally starting to connect the dots as to what was going on, they still had no search warrant for the house and no open reason to put him behind bars yet. Once they were convinced of Gacy's potential suicide, though, they needed any reason to get him in cuffs and arrest him. And lucky, uh, luckily, when they learned a friend of Gacy's had been given marijuana by him, uh, they finally had a reason and moved in to marijuana arrest John Wayne. Marijuana was the reason. Oh, my God. Marijuana and sodomy. The yes, devil's yes, tools. Yes. It was a charge of marijuana <sighs> possession that ended up getting John Wayne Gacy finally arrested at his home. That's like taxes taking down Capone. That sucks. I, yes. that it sucks. sucks. It sucks. It's a mixture of taxes and syphilis. I mean, you're right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Meanwhile, though, the search warrant had been requested, but not yet given. The whole ride from when Gacy got arrested down to the off, uh, the police station, Gacy attempted to persuade the officers to let him know what was going on, acting confused the whole time. He would say to them that we've become friends over these last few days, that you can tell me anything. I didn't do it. I'm innocent. Just tell me what's going on. I would, offers, I would, be, it would be so hard for me not to just smack this guy in the face. I imagine that there was a, a high degree of wanting to turn around and punch this man for many, many, many different people. When he arrived, he was informed of the drug charge and placed in a room while they awaited the search warrant, which had finally been granted. Gacy's home would shortly thereafter be swarmed with police vehicles and unmarked vehicles as the initial search began. One officer, Officer Genty, donned coveralls and boots as the crawl space was where he wanted to check the most. Genty had a little run in with Gacy a couple years back when a girl went missing and wasn't terribly surprised when he wound up here in search of a missing kid. Gacy had nothing to do with the missing girl, but... People had uh, kind of pointed in Gacy's direction, and so he had a couple of questions for him. That was a couple of years prior to this. It didn't take uh, Genty long to see some bizarre depressions in the raw dirt. Unlike before, the dirt itself was now soaked with water, with shallow pools of water having settled into the graves. As he pushed forward just a couple steps, he caught sight of what looked like a hair sticking out of the dirt. With his hands, he dug through the wet, muddy soil and very quickly came upon a bone. He whipped around, looked up at the officers and shouted, 
charge him. They'd finally found the bodies. I can imagine that moment for him was like exhilarating, being able to shout up in a movie way, just like charge him. We got him. We got him. After all this bullshit, I would be ready Mm -hmm. to like, I, you know, like when Batman punches the guy a few too many times. (laughs) Speaking of Batman, it does have kind of like the, I don't know, last, I'm trying to think of the time frame, but towards the end of the film, when a certain character is, is arrested And that's the look in his face. I imagine this exact same thing. It's like he's really thrilled about the whole thing. Yeah, it's nuts. And the reason that the whole crawl space had been soaked is that between the time that he was let out and he was finally arrested, he completely filled his crawl space with like the sewage. He had turned off like the sewage and flooded it. And then end up draining it, thinking that that might wipe away. I don't know what his thought process that was. Maybe if he made it muddy, they wouldn't go down there or something. But he, that's what he did. And there's not a huge reason other than maybe he was trying to wipe away evidence. Shortly after Gacy had been li- delivered to the security room, an officer busted in and shouted at Gacy, calling him a jag off and saying he was under arrest for murder, that they'd found the bodies. Gacy had no emotional response. After he was done being berated, he simply asked, have you found the crawl space? The officer nodded and Gacy replied, that's what the lime is for, to cover the sewer dampness and what you found down there. When asked how many bodies were in the crawl space, he said, I'm not sure. They asked if Robert Peast was there and Gacy had denied it, saying he wasn't. He had simply run out of room. After a little more questioning, Gacy said, I want to clear the air. I know the game is over. The lime was used to cover the smell. The bodies have been down there a long time, and there are more more bodies off the property. Over the next um, many, many days, the cops would exhume about two to three bodies a day. So it took them about a little over a week to exhume it. And as they were doing it, the press was like swarmed. Once the story broke, they were like watching them pull bodies out of there. Not only. Yes. Oh, it's all recorded. You can watch it like the newsreels and stuff. But not no, only that, thanks. not only that, hundreds of people would show up every single day in the winter time. And this is late November to just watch as they did it every day. They said uh, the police officer said they would go four or five heads deep sometimes, estimating a couple hundred people every day. Just sitting in the cold, fucking watching. firing pepper spray into the crowd to disperse. Yeah, yeah, no, this is I mean, this is like. Think about it, though, like every every big case, it's always just like a swarm. People are always interested. They want to know. Even when we talked about our black widows from the 1800s. Remember how there were hundreds of people outside the court waiting to see what happened because this normal lady killed a bunch of babies. I just don't like it because I don't want him to have the attention that he's craving and obviously getting. It just makes me it makes me frustrated that they're there. I know this happened 50 years ago, but I'm still mad about it, John. Yeah, no, fair, because he, and to a degree, he was definitely loving this attention. Um, Over the next few days, through the interviews with Gacy, he would confess three separate times with loads of officers all listening. But when he was confessing, he wanted no recording, no signed papers, no evidence that he actually confessed. And so, because that was his, like, that, that's something that he said he wouldn't do, all they have is the oral confession, and Gacy later on in his life would say he never confessed to anything that they're simply putting him behind prison for something he didn't do, which will obviously is uh, not true. Um, he becomes infuriating to deal with that once he's been caught. 
and taunting the police, saying things like, I'm never going to spend a day in prison for this. You'll never convict me. Why would somebody who didn't do it say something like that? Because because he would again, he would say it when the only people around were him and the person. And like he just was he was so full of himself, so deluded, so maniacally convinced that he could get away with anything that he just was open, like half open about it. Just being a total shit boy. Yeah. Yeah. But before we move on to see what happens with the trial, which is toward the end, I wanted to rewind a little bit and talk about the failure of the police and the story that ended up making me, I think, the most upset about how the police treated everybody. There was a victim about nine months prior to the murder of Robert Peast. The victim was abducted after he was standing outside in the city. I think he was walking home. John Wayne Gacy pulled up and offered him to smoke a joint with him. He shrugged and said, all right, and walked into Gacy's car willingly into the back seat. Gacy pulled over, lit a joint, and did begin smoking with him. As he was handing the joint back to Gacy, Gacy grabbed a cloth and shoved it into his face, a chloroform, to knock him out again. Another one of his favorite ways to kidnap somebody. Next time he came to, he would wake up on Gacy's floor as Gacy was in the kitchen mixing a drink. As when Gacy noticed that he was stirring, he would shove chloroform back in his face again. God. Then the next time he woke up, his arms were chained to a two by four as he was being held up in the garage and Gacy was beating him violently and screaming at him. He doesn't remember much beyond that before Gacy would take him down, put on his pants, put the pants on his victim, put him in the car and drive him to where he picked him off, picked him up and dumped him outside, leaving him in the street and going back home. I don't know. This happened with Gacy, some of Gacy's victims through his uh, through his kind of career of killing is he would have these people that he would pick up, do everything he would do to anybody else that he killed. But let these people go after. He's just like a weird fickle. Mm. Like, remember mm-hmm. that guy that called in to Howard Stern? No, that was like, is this real? Is this not? That oh, guy? yes. The guy that yes, was like, yes, yes. I'm a serial killer. Yeah. He was talking about how like. Sometimes he something happened, like it'll remind him of someone or he'll feel guilty mm-hmm. about something. They'll say something or he'll find out a piece of information that stops him from doing it. Like I could see him because, you know, the the other things that you were saying, like the other times when he would like get into like a tense situation mm-hmm. or he'd almost like that time when he almost hit that dude in the head or whatever uh, from behind. Um, it's like he eventually he gets to a point where his like little high gets blown and he's yeah. like, fuck it. Is yeah. There's uh, another story of another victim, a high school uh, junior at the time, a 17 year old. He was picked up by Gacy as they all were brought back for whatever a good time was and did the handcuff trick with him. However, the handcuff he's trick. What a piece right. of shit. However, though, this kid struggled immediately. And after he got the handcuffs on, he went off to get something from the kitchen And the kid realized that the handcuff on his right hand was looser than the other one because he was struggling and he was able to slip his hand out. However, as he slipped his hand out, he waited for Gacy to return. And as soon as Gacy returned, he hit him with a double leg takedown, threw his knee into his neck, held his legs up and, and then handcuffed Gacy instead. He then got up and waited for Gacy to calm down. Eventually, Gacy would reply, you know. You're the only one who's ever been able to fight back and get the cuffs on me. Afterward, after yeah. he was, yeah, yeah, I know. It's fucking creepy. It's weird. 
Gacy would eventually calm down. The kid would take the handcuffs off and he would trust Gacy enough to drive him back, what? which Gacy did. Why <laughs> yes, do people keep you? I've seen pictures, man. I don't care I who you are. No one's that trustworthy. I just. I don't get it. And in, the, in, in, in an interview with this guy, he said, in hindsight, the smarter thing to do would have been run. The smarter yeah, thing. Yeah, dude. He should have just kept his knee on the man's throat and ended yes. it. Yes. Yeah, oh, my God. Be done with it. It's not. They, they, I can't. I don't. Maybe it was something that was in the water. Like, I don't understand why they were just like, all right, Casey, I'll trust you enough to take me home. Gee, golly, after you tried to fucking kill me. It's insane. However, the, the story I want to talk about after the one was chloroformed, and he woke up and he was dumped on the side road. He had a vivid memory of the car and a vague memory of what Gacy looked like, but not enough. He went right to the police that night and reported it. But because he couldn't remember much, there wasn't much of a report. It was very light on details. When he went home to his boyfriend, he told the whole situation. And for the next three to four weeks, anytime they had free time, they would go into their car, go out looking for Gacy and his car, because if it could happen to him, he was convinced that he might kill somebody else out That's there. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I like in the moment, I would have been like, I'm ending you like I just. <laughs> yeah, this isn't the wrestler, though. This is the other guy who was chloroform. The wrestler just like was like went back to his normal life after that. How? How do you go back? I don't How know. do you go back? I have no idea. I have no idea. This guy did not. This though. is he, so infuriating. I always forget how angry I get during these fucking yeah. episodes. Because the shit these people get away with is insane. It's insane. I mean, hindsight, of course, right? It's 2020. You like, yeah, the truth is most people don't want to believe that like this person that they're with is like a fucking murderer. Yeah. But it still just sucks. I mean, when it, they show awful. you who they are, like, like believe some them. of these people <laughs> that got away. Like, you know, every like, well, he did. He was going to hit me with like a crowbar there. So, you know what? He was going through a thing like, no, I'd be like, dude, hello, police. This man's a crazy person. I just blows my well, mind, blows my mind. This victims and their and his boyfriend's um, nightly excursion actually eventually paid off. They saw Gacy driving his car and then followed him all the way back to his house, getting a good look at the car, the person, the license plate, the house, and went to the cops with this information. The police took down the information, but let him know he was already out on a $10,000 bail for having been reported for assault by another teen. Come on. When he tried to push the issue and let them know, like, no, this is what he did to me, tortured, beat me, all these other things. The response from the person on the phone was, it's not that big a deal. It's just another butt fucker anyway. Are you f kidding me? Nope. Yeah, that was the the yeah. that was the, the uh, station's reply to him. That seemed to be the thing that we picked up on last time, that yeah. because they were all young gay men that no one really seemed to care. You are correct. It's that 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 story in that line stuck with me. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I, this, this is, is like the whole, this, that's what this whole story is about. I never knew that. I never realized like if this was a new story that I heard about today, if I was like writing a report on this, this would completely be framed around just what it was like to be gay at this time. Right. Yeah. This is insanity. It's 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 so, it's so awful. 
Eventually, though, after he's been in prison for a good long while, the trial would come and go in 1980. And after a long trial, the jury only deliberated for two hours before they came back, having him uh, uh, telling him he's guilty of all three, 33 murders, as well as a varying list of other yeah, crimes and assaults. Fuck. Yeah. And the penalty would be death. That's when Gacy's story began changing. <laughs> Often. Oh, you're going to kill me? Yeah. Prior to the trial, however, he did make an attempt at an insanity plea. After a long conversation with his lawyer prior to an interrogation, Gacy would show up, sit there, and draw them an entire map of the crawl space indicating where the bodies were, how many were there, and who most of them were. Then, after he was done drawing it, he would blink repeatedly, look down in confusion at the drawing, and say, oh, Jack must have drew this. The cops were like, Who's Jack, bro? Who's Jack? Yeah. Casey was attempting to inject a second personality, one that he blamed on the murder. Oh, a personality God. by the oh. name of Jack Hanley. Shut up, Jack Hanley. Get the fuck <laughs> yep. out of here, John Wayne Gacy Jr., a.k.a. Jack Hanley. <laughs> he would then go on to stick with that story, even after being arrested and convicted, that his personality was split. It was this Jack Hanley one that did all the killings. But his story changed multiple times and weirdly every time. First, the story changed that he only remembered the first five murders and that the ones after that were being done by other people or the split personality. His first defense was that there were people who knew that the, the first five people he killed were sitting under the crawl space. So... With that knowledge, they killed their own people and would bring the bodies to his crawl space to put them in there. No, <laughs> no, 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 uh, yeah. this guy, F this dude. <laughs> I'd say no. that was his actual excuse. That's so fucking stupid. Ugh. And what happened? Well, what about those five victims? Why'd you kill them? They all deserved it. They were all drug users or terrible people or assaulted him first. And it was all self-defense. And why did he not bring it to the cops then? Because he said he simply didn't want to get involved and it would be easier for him to put the bodies in the crawl space and forget it's about it. It's just a little murder, you know, cleaning up the streets. You get it, judge. That's what he's hoping for, though. Like, that's exactly what he's hoping for. Then his story would change a few years later again. He only remembered the first murder. And that murder was purely self-defense because the kid was coming at him with a knife and he only stabbed him in defense because it was his only other option. All the other murders were done by other people who he uh, who knew about that first murder. And much like his other story, were just using that as an excuse to use his body. And he said, I guess the only crime I'm committing is holding an unofficial graveyard. And that's what he that, like, just said that to the police. I guess. Yeah. Like in this nonchalant way, because he genuinely, genuinely didn't care. Days were spent digging out the bodies, and after they were all said and done, it would be a long while, even years yet, before most of them were identified. And to this day, five of them are still unidentified. And an officer says after the uh, trial and Gacy had been convicted on a car ride transporting Gacy, he looked back to Gacy and said, all right, John, be honest. How many did you kill? And Gacy shrugged. Somewhere in the 30s, maybe. And the officer said, really? 
You don't know? Gacy simply said, 45 sounds like a good number. And when he asked where the bodies were, Gacy said, "Uh uh-uh, that's your job, not mine. And that's all we know about if you've killed anyone else throughout the time. At the end, in 1994, John Wayne Gacy was put to death by lethal injection. His final words were, kiss my ass. Shut the fuck up, John Wayne Gacy. (laughs) That's how I feel. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, dude. Really? Like, shut up. (laughs) Gacy's lawyer, Amarante, as much of an asshole as he was and kind of a selfish dude, he was kind of given this shit job at the same time. But still, to his credit, after all of this was done, Amarante was the one that went out and created the Amber Alert system. Mm, So at the very least, the Amber Alert came out of this whole trial. That's fascinating. So this is the this is how Amber Alerts. You know why? Uh, Because didn't they used to have a uh, uh, like a time limit? So like if you're, 72 hours, you had to wait 72 hours. Yep. Yeah. And so that's why the Alamber, uh, the Alamber, the, the Alamber, <laughs> the Amber alerts were created so that you could report a kid missing immediately and get the word out. So you'd have to wait three days. Crazy. Yeah. And the, yeah, the amount of time that they made him wait was just bananas. And the fact that every single time the excuse, the kid just left town because the kids will run away all the time was just accepted. It's was, like a cartoon excuse. Yeah, it's like it a is. Dennis and the Menace excuse. I can't go through all of them, but it's important to know a lot of these families literally hounded police for like years at a time. Yeah, nothing I even that. happened. Yeah, uh, one of the victim's mothers actually discovered herself the links to John Wayne Gacy, brought them to the police, and the police just told her it's not a big deal. He probably just left town not to like look into Dude, it. Dude, I would like, throw a fucking ninja star through that dude's throat, man. I don't understand. Woman- that woman was very clearly in like her mid to late 70s and she was hustling around doing the work. She told her daughter, a lot of a lot of people will stay home and pray. I'm going to find the fucker who killed my son. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> like it's nuts. Good, yeah. It's nuts. Um, but, gentlemen, this is where we bring the story of John Wayne Gacy to a close. I hope we did our due diligence and really dug into who he was as a person his history, his whiny, bitchy personality, and the annoying, manipulative little uh, liar that he was at the end of the day. What because a piece of shit. For all, like, as sloppy as he was, he did wrap people around his figure, his finger with his bizarre charisma. But in the end, he got his due cause and was able to be put down in 1994. And that's it for John Wayne Gacy, boys. The end of the story. I got one last treat for you about John Wayne Gacy. Sure. Do you know what his last meal was? What was his last meal? It was a dozen fried shrimp, French fries, fresh strawberries, diet Coke, and a bucket of Kentucky fried (laughs) chicken. Of course. Of course he had KFC as his fucking last meal. Can can you believe that shit? Insanity. Uh, You know, the thing that I kind of walk away from, from this is just like, it's a tragic, it's as, it's insanely tragic, but it could have been stopped so much earlier. So way, many different times. So many Every points. fucking chance. Yeah. Every, Every chance. chance in the world to stop this guy. And it just never happened until the goody little old boy with his little family came into the picture and, and kind of blew up the, the whole investigation. Not and, and it got out to the praise. Yeah. It's nuts. 
But that's it, everybody. Thank you guys so much. And a big shout out to Deanna, who helped me out with this episode, uh, with the series yeah. of episodes, as always. Dude. She's always a killer researcher. Killer, killer, Absolutely killer series. Knocked it out. Um, we will be back next week with something much, much lighter than uh, true crime before we dive into another true crime series again. God knows when. But we're off to head off to patreon.com slash IlluminatiPod to record our mini-sode. We love you. Thanks for your support. And we'll see you next time. Stay cool. Anyway. Bye. Goodbye. Me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside. And after a few moments, I hear my wife go, holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside. And she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky. Thank you.